What's up, everyone? Drop it in here real quick. As you see, this isn't a regular episode. This is a companion episode to Swords Without Master. Uh, pretty much, it's just the rules. Epidiah went into good, good, great detail on the rules on how to play this game, so I thought I'd just pop them out into their own little episode. That way, uh, if you want to listen to it, maybe prep your own game. Here they are. Listen to them. Epi did a great job explaining everything. So, yeah. This here, not the weekly episode... This is a companion to that episode, uh, pretty much just the rules to Swords Without Master. As we play the game, we're going to be rolling two six-sided dice. Uh, one die will be our glum die, and one die will be our jovial die. The reason for these is that the, when you roll these dice, the highest one is going to tell you what your tone is in the story. As the overplayer, I roll at the beginning of the fa- each phase to tell us what the tone, the overtone of the phase is. That's my tone and the tone of everything I'm describing and the tone of all the people around you and the world itself. Uh, you may have a different tone because you get to roll the dice when you go to do things. Sometimes you have the same tone. Sometimes you have a different tone. We broadly interpret these tones. Uh, glum doesn't mean you're always like it's not a game of being either happy or sad all the time uh, we interpret glum to be any sort of uh, tone that is more reserved quiet cooler colors maybe darker uh, maybe more determined uh, well actually well yeah it could be more determined uh, one of the ways I like to say is that if you're angry and you roll glum you give somebody like an icy stare. On the other hand, jovial is more passionate, more outgoing, more loud, brighter, warm. Uh, and if you're angry and you roll jovial, you're not happy per se. You are maybe raging. You're yelling or you know frothing at the mouth, depending on on how how you uh, in, interpret your character doing that. So we're very. Uh, we play really loose with these tones. These are very broad tones that we want to use here. Uh, another way to think of these tones is maybe what the soundtrack is doing. Uh, we've got some musical characters here, so this kind of helps. Uh, you know, if it's a glum thing, it might be in a minor key. It might be a little uh, quieter. Uh, it might be a, a little tenser music where if it's jovial, it might be in a, a major key. It might be a little bit more like, you know, um, Skyrim, you're the best, uh, that kind of thing. Man, I, I just tried to sing. I should not be doing that on a podcast. Uh, and, um, yeah, so we'll go into that, uh, more as we play, uh, one of the things we'll do as players when somebody rolls a dice is that we will pay attention to what they roll and try to interpret what they're saying in that tone as well. We're working with you, not judging you, right? So, And another thing to keep in mind is that you don't have to stay entirely in the tone in your narration. Oftentimes, it's really effective to describe, you know, you roll glum and you're describing just a chaotic, loud, clashing battle and then you talk about your character walking with purpose, like very slowly in the middle of that battle, paying attention to nothing, right? Like that, that's one way to hit glum is to uh, show us a bunch of jovial stuff and then hit us with that glum uh, note. So anyways, the feats heroic, we were talking about how rogues are made up. The feats heroic are 
uh, a way to ensure that uh, these are sword and sorcery heroes that cannot be one-dimensional, and they they don't have to be three-dimensional, but they <laughs> they need to be two-dimensional at least, right? So we need to think of them either as in the glum tone and in a jovial tone. So you come up with some way your rogue reacts to things uh, in a glum way, and some way your rogue may react to things in a jovial way. And these are not ways that you're always reacting to it. They're, in fact, ways that you will re- react to once and you will gain uh, the ability to ignore a die roll in the game. So you'll be like, uh, you'll roll the dice, you'll look at it, and you're like, I don't like those. I'm going to go with my feet heroic. So the last bit we need for our rogues here, and then uh, we can get into how the game works, is... Uh, wait, I'm, I'm second-guessing myself. Maybe we'll get into how the game works before we deal with the tricks. Uh, I will say this. Each rogue has a trick. Uh, and each trick must be different from another rogue's trick, and each trick changes the rules of the game somehow, which is why I second-guessed myself. Because <laughs> I think maybe it's smarter if we talk a little bit about how the game works before we talk about how we're changing the rules of it. So uh, let me tell you roughly how this game works. In a moment, I am going to roll the dice, and that will set our first overtone. When I set the overtone, uh, I will begin narrating and I will be telling you where you are, why you're there, what you're doing there, what condition you're in. Uh, this is the part where I am just completely railroading your characters. Uh, that's fine. You you uh, you still you know have control of your characters and you still get you know it's up to you to decide how they feel about all this and whatnot. But at the beginning of every phase. I have that that power. That's the that's what the overplayer can do. It's the the iron grip of the overplayer. Uh, but while I'm doing that, I am also going to give you what's called a thunder. And the thunder is a threat to your rogues, uh, but it's a distant threat, and it's actually more of a hint of a threat. The way the it may be a cloudless sky, and you can hear thunder in the distance, and you think hmm, there might be a storm, but it may pass you by. Uh, the thunder is uh, a piece of uh, uh, a little little bit of narration or whatever that I put out there. And normally, if we were playing at the table, when I give you the thunder, I'd pick up the dice. I've just rolled them for the overtone, uh, start describing things, and then I give you the thunder. I say you hear some scratching in the walls, and I pick up the dice. And that is an indication to you that whatever that is, that scratching in the walls uh, might be a threat. Now... It's fine if we end up ignoring that, if we end up moving on and doing other things. The main purpose of the Thunder is to just have something that we can fall back on if, as we're going along, we need a little push, a little nudge, or something to have uh, happen. Uh, The Thunder, I don't have to describe or explain to you what the Thunder is, and I honestly don't need to even know what the Thunder is. I have no idea what's scratching inside those walls. Uh, it may even be one of you that tells me what's scratching in those walls, and that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, after I have let peel the thunder, I will then will then go into the phase, whatever kind of phase it is. And I'll tell you what kind of phase it is. Uh, there are uh, three kinds of phases in the basic game, and that's what we'll focus on here. There is the perilous phase, and the perilous phase is when the in a perilous phase, your rogue's lives are always on the line. 
Uh, they're usually in the middle of some sort of fight, although occasionally it, you may be dealing with something else that's threatening their lives, like uh, uh, in the middle of an avalanche or um, something along those lines. During the perilous phase, uh, I'll start it by handing the dice to one of you. And then I will start describing what's called the storm. And unlike the thunder, that's an immediate threat that you cannot ignore. That is something coming at you that's doing something right now. It's, it's a skeleton wielding a spear, screaming and charging at you. And I will describe what this skeleton is doing. And everyone can describe what they're doing in reaction to it. Uh, but whatever you describe has to be slipping and struggling with it, right? You uh, you can't overcome or succumb to the skeleton as long as these dice remain in somebody's hands and they're not rolled, right? So uh, maybe the skeleton, as it's coming and running, screaming towards you, you realize that it's a, a trick of... Uh, uh, perspective here and it's actually a giant skeleton and it's way off in the distance and it takes a while to get to you and as it's getting closer and closer to you uh, the loud the screaming gets louder and louder and it's thunderous footsteps are uh, at, as this keeps building up uh, the person that's holding the dice is the only one who can stop me from making something happen uh, you could say I jump in someone without the dice can be like I jump in front of it but you'll be swept aside by the spear or, you know, we'll work out what the slipping and struggling bit is. But the person with the dice is going to wait for a moment when they cannot wait any longer, when they cannot let this go on any longer. And they're going to roll the dice and they are going to then respond in that tone to this storm and do something to that skeleton. Or if they think the dice tell them something bad happens to them, they may decide something horrible is going to happen to me because of this giant skeleton. Uh, all right, so you roll the dice, you get your tone, you do your narration, you can now overcome or succumb because you're the one who rolled the dice. Then when you're done narrating, you pick the dice up, and that indicates to me that I should continue to bring the storm. You can, at that point, say, no, this phase is over. The only person in a perilous phase that can end the perilous phase is the person who had just rolled the dice and narrated something. Uh that if you do say the phase is over, we stop. I roll the dice for the overtone and I start a brand new phase. It's as easy as that. Uh, if you don't, then I will bring the storm again and I will make more badness happen. And if we've dealt with this particular storm, if you've dealt with the, uh, the giant skeleton here, then I would be forced to either come up with a new storm or bring the thunder in and, and turn that into a storm. Um, and we just keep going until somebody who has rolled the dice decides that we're done with this perilous phase. Oh, here's the important bit. <laughs> you've, you've rolled the dice, you've narrated your thing, you've picked them up, and you say, no, we're going to continue with this perilous phase. Now you have the dice, and you cannot roll them again. And you have to hand them to someone else, other than someone who, one of your fellow rogue players, uh, for them to roll in order to interrupt me and overcome or succumb to what's happening in the storm. We all are still allowed to slip and struggle. That's fine. Uh, but uh, they, you know, you need to hand the dice to someone else for that to happen. You can hold on to the dice and you could be like, I want to get us into a lot of trouble before I hand the dice off to someone. 
That's your prerogative. That's between you and your fellow rogue players. Hmm. Uh, I will try and make it as difficult as possible uh, for you uh, until I see those dice pass, though, because that is my job. Uh, does that make sense? Are, are we still on board with what I'm talking about here? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing this all pure audio, so I'm getting no visual cues here. The one thing <laughs> that does remind me, uh, if you want to slip and struggle, just you know, speak up and say, I'd like to slip and struggle. But this, that's a thing that like kind of depends on visual cues quite often to be like, oh, I, I want to move in here and do something. Uh, so feel free to interrupt me in that manner. That's something you're perfectly allowed to do. All right, so that's the perilous phase. Another phase we might do is called the discovery phase. The discovery phase uh, starts off the same way. I roll the dice. I describe where you are, what you're doing, what's happening. I give you a thunder. But this time, I'll hand the dice to one of you, and you'll roll it right away. And depending on the tone, you will then make a discovery. Uh, And a discovery is something that your rogue is either somehow discovering or uncovering right now, or it's something that they know that they're now conveying to us. It's you're basically providing us details about the world uh, through the experiences and senses of your particular rogue. And you can come up with whatever that is. You could be like, oh, yeah, the skeleton. Uh, I know this skeleton. I know this giant skeleton. He, he once worked for uh, the... Uh, lich giant and um then you've made that discovery you've said something about it and then you get to ask me a loaded question about it so the deal with the loaded question is you can you ask me a question like what why would why would the lich king send this uh skeleton out this way uh that's a perfectly valid loaded question is this skeleton still working for the lich king is not you don't want to ask me a yes or no loaded question yes or no loaded questions almost always have like a really obvious answer and it's not uh what you want to do is you want to give me just enough rope to like make something interesting out of it right like just a little bit of detail and then uh uh hand it over to me um in the discovery phase after you have made your discovery and then ask me a loaded question about it i as the overplayer decide if the phase is over. If I say it isn't over, you immediately hand the dice to another player, uh, rogue player of your choice, and that rogue player will immediately roll the dice and they will make a discovery. And what's happening here is you're under no, uh, there's no duty here. You don't have to tell us stuff about the story proper. Like you don't have to tell us about stuff that's happening right now. You can say, I found a magic sword. Who did it once belong to, you know, or you can uh, say, you know, I've heard tell that the stars were born on top of a mountain way in the north. And it has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. That's fine. Uh, but what I'm doing as the overplayer is I'm going to make sure that this phase goes on until I have a good direction to take the story in. So I'm just going to listen to what you're saying, and when one of you or a combination of the stuff you're saying inspires in me the next step, the next phase that we're going to go to, that's when I'm going to say, okay, we're done with this phase. Time to move on. So uh, if you're itching to get out of the discovery phase, 
I I recommend throwing story stuff at me. But uh, if you're not, if you want to learn more about the world, just start barfing forth the world. Um, all right, so that's the discovery phase. The third uh, type of phase that we'll, we'll be using is called the rogues phase. And the rogues phase, in many ways, is uh, the workhorse of the game. Uh, the rogues phase works just like the other two. It starts off with an overtone, and I give you a thunder, and I pick up the dice. And now when I start the phase, I hand the dice to one of you. And when I hand the dice to you, it will come with a demand. And demands always start with the phrase, show us. So it might be, uh, show us how you sink uh, the skeleton fleet. Or show us how you fall in love with the daughter of the lich giant. You know, that sort of thing. And I'll hand the dice to you. You'll roll the dice immediately, just like in the discovery phase. And using that tone, you will tell us how that happened. (laughs) And so that's up to you. That's how that works out based on what you roll in the tone. Then when you're done doing that, you will pick up the dice. And at that point, anyone can say, oh, we're done with this phase. So it could be me. It could be you if you just rolled, or it could be one of your fellow rogue players who have been listening to it, but are like, okay, let's see if we do something different here. If nobody ends the rogue phase at that point, then you get to hand the dice to another rogue and make a demand of that same type. So you could be like, show us how you uh, show us the speech you make at my wedding to the daughter of the lich giant. Uh, I don't know why I'm going down this road with our imaginary story, but this is where we're going right now. So, <laughs> uh, and we'll just keep doing that. And until somebody says, okay, we're going to end the phase here. Uh, one thing about the rogues phase is that you can make demands of the overplayer. If you like, I never roll the dice. I, I always stay in the overtone. Uh, and usually my answers tend to be uh, much shorter, but you can say, show us how the, Lich giant, uh, show us the, the, the wedding present the Lich giant gives us, you know, that kind of thing. Or you could ask about the world, like show us, uh, what, what this does, uh, to the weather in the North. Now that the Lich giant's daughter has, uh, uh, groom, uh, or whatever. Uh, all right. I think I've, sorry, I tried to just go over the rules in my head. So those are the phases. And the thing about the phases are they're not scenes in particular. Uh, We can have several scenes take place inside a single phase. The rogues phase is a great example for that. You can oftentimes in a rogues phase be like, show us how you take us over the mountains and into the next valley. And then the, the next person gets a demand that takes place in there. Or you can do flashbacks during the rogues phase. It doesn't matter. So uh, don't always equate phases with scenes because you can have many scenes within a phase or you can have many phases within a single scene. Uh, So that I just want to make sure that we're not making that mistake and thinking every time we switch the phase, uh, obviously whenever we switch the phase, it is an opportunity to change the scene and we may do that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen. 
All right. Now, there are a few other moving parts in this game. We've talked about the dice. We've talked about the uh, phases. And now we have to talk about the threads. There are three kinds of threads in this game. There are uh, morals, mysteries, and motifs. And we'll start first with... Uh, oh, i got to go back to talk about the dice. Because I forgot an important element of the dice. Because you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself... That's fine. If I roll the dice, one of them's going to be bigger than the other. But what happens when they tie, Epi? What kind of game designer doesn't design rules for when the dice tie? <laughs> and I assure you, I am an experienced game designer and I have rules for this. So when the dice tie, when I roll as the overplayer, when I roll and the dice tie, uh, the overtone is just the opposite of what it was previously. And if I do this on the very first overtone of the game, hooray, I get to choose a tone. That's all that happens with the overplayer when the dice tie. The overplayer doesn't have to worry about any real dice tricks here. But the rogue players do have to worry about it. When the dice tie, you are stymied, uh, which means you are unable to do what you're intending to do at that moment. In a perilous phase, this often is disastrous. It often means you're not... You're like, I'm going to, you were thinking you were going to get up and, and stop that giant skeleton from uh, running you through with its uh, spear. And you roll a stymie and you're like, I, I guess I'm getting run through with this spear, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's fine. You may have another way in which you're stymied. It's up to you to determine, determine how that is. But uh, whenever you roll a stymie, the overtone flips. So if we were jovial while that thing was coming, it's going to flip over to glum. Uh, and that is supposed to be an escalation of some sort. So if it is coming at you with this spear and you roll a stymie and we go to glum, uh, it certainly does seem logical <laughs> or it does seem to flow naturally that uh, that spear would go through you and uh, everybody would go quiet in astonishment uh, as it as uh, you you stumble backwards with the giant spear in your gut, um, or uh, maybe that's not what happens. Maybe you uh, disappear from the world for a moment, and we don't know why. Uh, well, I'll get into that in a second, actually. Uh, so, anyways, so that's how a stymie works: is that it's basically it flips the overtone, and that change in the tone is always an escalation of some sort. If you roll the dice and both dice are three or less, that is that uh, you know, you're not adding them up, but each individual die is rolling a three and a or less, then you're also going to get a thread. If it's not a tie, so you roll a three glum and a one jovial or a two jovial and a one glum or something like that, then what you get is a moral. You go ahead and you narrate as you normally would, telling us in the tone uh, what your character is doing. But whatever you do will have an unintended consequence of some sort. And uh, you can come up with that unintended consequence, or you can let me come up with it as the overplayer. Or you may come up with it, and I might think, there's no bite to this thing that you've come up with. And I, as, as the overplayer, am allowed to say, Oh, but it also does this to give you more of an unintended consequence. When you 
have this unintended consequence, you get what's called a moral, uh, and that is a thread. A thread is a uh, something that we write down that we save for the end of the game. In the case of a moral, this thing that you write down is a lesson that your rogue probably should learn from what you did, right? So uh, maybe you're like, oh, uh, this giant with this giant uh, skeleton with the spears coming at me. I'm going to step out of the way and it's going to hit my companion behind me. So the moral you might write is, uh, you know, when you leave, make sure you don't leave important things behind. Maybe, you know, whatever you want to write down for that. Now, this is not a lesson that your character absolutely has to learn. It's a lesson that they probably should learn, but that that's fine if they don't. When we get to the end game, we'll talk about whether or not they've learned things. That's how a moral works. If you roll three or less and it's a tie, it's a stymie, like I said before, but the cause of the stymie is something supernatural or unknown. And this is called a mystery, which is almost an anagram for stymie. And I was almost beautiful but it's not so uh, missed opportunity there curse you english language uh so a mystery uh like i said is a stymie where something supernatural or unknown has caught prevented you from doing the thing that you're going to do you can describe what that is and then you write a question about it so maybe that thing's that giant skeleton with the spears coming at you and like i said you disappear from the world and nobody knows why then you can be like where did i go and that's perfectly fine. You could just write that down in the mystery. The mystery has to be a question of some sort. Uh, things are going to get a little interesting and weird when these happen during the discovery phase. And when we do get to playing and they come up, we'll talk about how they work there. Uh, I, I'm not going to engage with that right now because uh, I'm going to move on to the moral. Uh, I'm sorry, not the moral, the motif. Because the final type of thread that we have is called the motif. Uh, on our playing surface here, we have three motifs. Each motif has three elements to it. The first motif... Uh, oh, so what happens is we're, we're playing this game. We're describing things. And uh, one of you is like, you know what? I really dig this giant skeleton as a <clears throat> piece of sword and sorcery imagery. Or maybe... Another one of you describes a uh, reaction to it that involves, uh, uh, I, I apologize, the only thing I could think of, because you're so musical, is playing some sort of xylophones with its ribcage. But let's say you did that, <laughs> and the crowd is like, that's sword and sorcery badass. Uh, when you hear someone other than yourself narrate something that you think is awesome, and you want to make sure that something that's that just seeds sword and sorcery to you. Uh, you write that down in the motif. You write that down under the next available element in the motif. We're going to write that down uh, under the first motif. There's three elements, so you, we'll write three of those things, and we'll just write them when they come up. There's no mechanical thing that tells us when to do it. We can do it whenever. There might be, sometimes when you're between phases, you're like, you know what? I really like this thing you just did. I'm going to you know, in the previous phase, we'll write that down as well. Uh, once you fill up the three elements on the first motif, we move on to the second motif. One of those elements has to echo an element in the previous motif. 
And uh, by echo, I mean it just has to feel like it's a continuation of that motif, right? So you played the skeleton's ribcage, and it was, <clears throat> and we wrote that down. And then uh, in another phase, uh, or uh, later on in the game, um, there's like a camp that you're trying to sneak into, and one of you rolls a stymie, and you trip uh, um, a string that has a bunch of bones connected to it, like a wind chime. Uh, and that lets people know that you're you're coming. So you're like a an alarm system made out of bones, right? That's an echo of this earlier motif. Uh, so one of those three in the second motif has to echo one from the third uh, from the first motif before we can finish it. So we want to make sure while we're narrating, we're trying to hit some echoes there. We're trying to encourage uh, people to write down the things we're saying uh, to follow that that echo. Same thing with the third motif. We, once we're done with the second motif, we move on to the third motif. And one of those, only one, uh, has to echo something from either of the two previous motifs. They don't, you don't have to echo both of the previous motifs, just one or the other of the previous motifs. Once we filled in all three of those elements in the third one, and we have the other two motifs filled in, we're ready for the end game. Whew, almost there. The end game is played out just like the regular game, except now you can reincorporate any one of these threads. So you could reincorporate the morals by telling us about something that your character does that proves that your character has learned their lesson or has proved that they'll never learn their lesson or has your character teaching that lesson to someone else. Uh, you can reincorporate one of the mysteries by uh, describing uh, the answer to the mystery or by uncovering further questions about that mystery. Um, you don't have to necessarily solve a mystery in order to reincorporate it. You can be like, why did I disappear from the world? And then later on, you could be like, and why is it I can't go back to that world I just disappe I disappeared into? Uh, whatever. You can just reincorporate uh, by uh, extending that. And then finally, you can reincorporate one of the motifs by taking any two elements on a single motif and synthesizing a new uh, something from it, right? Like, so you might have this uh, xylophone uh, skeleton ribcage thing, and maybe one of the other elements on it is a uh, serpent with rainbow iridescent scales. And so you're like, oh, I have learned how to play the spectrum uh, as it pours out of a prism. Uh, or something along those lines. Whew, okay. That was a lot to barf out. I apologize.